بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله We have reached lesson number 12 tonight of the tafsir of the short surahs of the Quran Kuz and we have reached Surah Al-Alaq as last week we completed Surah Al-Teen and before that Surah Al-Sharh, Surah Al-Duha and of course Surah Al-Fatiha. So we move on immediately to Surah Al-Alaq as it is a bit of a lengthy surah and we will try our best to um, get through the surah tonight insha'Allah. Firstly we know that this surah is well at least the first half of this surah was the first ayat that was sent down to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam the beginning of revelation and we will go through the hadith that explains this happening the hadith is narrated by Ummul Mu'mineen the mother of the believers Aisha radiallahu anha who said that the first thing that began happening with the messenger of Allah from the revelation was dreams that he would see in his sleep and that would come true he would not see any dream except that it would come through just like the clearness of the daybreak in the morning. So this was the first sign of wahi. Before the Quran was sent, Rasulullah would receive dreams from Allah and it is known that the dreams of the Anbiya والسلام, they are wahi. All of their dreams are, are wahi. So he would see dreams and they would come true exactly, you know, crystal clear, just like daybreak is clear in the morning. Then seclusion became beloved to him. So he used to go to the cave of Hira and devote himself to worship there for a number of nights. And he would bring provisions for that. Then he would return to Khadija, Ummul Mu'mineen, the mother of the believers, radiallahu anha, and replenish his provisions for a similar number of nights. So this was how he would go and stay in seclusion in the cave of Hira and he would worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala over there. This continued until the revelation suddenly came to him while he was in the cave of Hira. The angel came to him while he was in the cave and said, Iqra, read. The messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Ma ana biqari. I replied, that I am not the one who reads. I am not one who is able to read. Then he said, So he, the angel, seized me and pressed me until I could no longer bear it. Then he released me and said, Read, iqra. So I replied, Ma biqari. I am not one who reads. So he pressed me a second time until I could no longer bear it. Then he released me and said, iqra, bismi rabbika khalaq. Read, O Prophet. And it's addressed to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the name of your Lord who created until he reached the ayah ma lam ya'lam which is the fifth ayah of the of the surah ma lam ya'lam um, that which he knew not Khadija then accompanied him to his cousin or to her cousin Waraqa ibn Nawfal who during the period of ignorance became a Christian and used to scribe the scriptures in Arabic so he was a, a good person, a righteous man. And during the days of ignorance, he was known as, as, as a priest. 
He would write from the Injil in Hebrew as much as Allah willed for him to write. He was an old man and he had lost his eyesight. Khadija said to him, Oh my cousin, listen to the story of your nephew. And Waraka asked, Oh my nephew, what have you seen? Allah's messenger described what he saw. And Waraka said, This is An-Namus, whom Allah had sent to Musa, referring to Jibreel alayhi salam. And he said, I wish I was young and could live until the time when your people would drive you out. Subhanallah. And so Allah's messenger said, and he asked him, Awabukhrijiyahum, will they drive me out? My own people, will they drive me out? And so Waraka applied, or replied in the affirmative and said, Anyone who came with something similar to what you have brought was treated with hostility and enmity. And if I should remain alive until that day, then I would firmly support you. And that, again, is a sign and a lesson in it. That statement of Waraka. Any person who comes with the truth, any person who comes with the message of Tawheed and so forth, he is treated with hostility and enmity. And this was the case for, we know the stories of the Anbiya, how they suffered at the hands of their people. But Waraka did not remain. He died and the revelation paused until Allah's messenger became sad, according to what we were told. So this is the lengthy hadith. Uh, it's narrated in Muslim and Ahmad and also in Bukhari and, and Muslim. Okay, that's the, the story as narrated by Aisha, who obviously heard it from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, about how the revelation began in the cave of Hira, where Jibreel alayhi salam came to him with the instruction to, to read uh, in the name of his Lord, the one who created. So the first thing or the first ayat that was revealed of the Qur'an were these noble and blessed ayat. They are the first mercy that Allah bestowed upon his servants and the first bounty that Allah favored them with. This is the words of Imam Ibn Kathir rahimahullah. They are the first mercy that Allah bestowed upon his slaves and the first bounty that Allah favored them with. Yani there is some deep lessons to be found within these ayat uh, without any doubt. Then Ibn Kathir said, these ayat inform of the beginning of man's creation from a clinging clot to a dangling clot that out of Allah's generosity, he taught man that which he did not know. Thus, Allah exalted him and honored him by giving him knowledge. And it is the dignity that the father of humanity, Adam salam, was distinguished with over the angels. And this is extremely important because this is truly how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honors people. As the hadith says, May yuridillahu bihi khayran, that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants goodness for a person, then he grants that person the understanding of the religion. He allows that person to comprehend the religion. And this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he blessed Adam alayhi salam with ilm, with knowledge. And he was taught the names of all things as we will see later on. And likewise, the Anbiya, the Hadith mentions, they do not leave behind any dinar wala dirham. But they leave behind beneficial knowledge and this is what each Muslim should strive to to hold on to because this is truly the inheritance of the prophets Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu he comes to the marketplace one day and he says to the people woe to you the inheritance of the prophets are being handed out in the masjid of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and here you are looking for these worldly positions so the people flocked to the masjid when they came there they found nothing being handed out they came back to him and said, Oh Abu Hurairah, you said this, but there's nothing given, being given out. So Abu Hurairah says to them, 
what did you see? And they said there was only lessons going on of fiqh and of this inheritance and of halal and haram. And so Abu Huraira says to them, woe to you, that is the inheritance of the prophets. That is the inheritance of the prophets. And as Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal rahimahullah, he said, الْعِلْمُ لَا يَعْدِلُهُ شَيْءٍ لِمَنْ صَحَّتْ نِيَتَهُ That when it comes to Islamic knowledge, Imam Ahmad said, nothing is equal to it. It has no equivalent at all. At all. For the one whose intention is pure. And this is why uh, Imam Ash-Shafi and others, they had the view that to seek knowledge is the best of all actions after the wajibat of the deen. So if a person spent his evening, for example, in salah, or he chose to seek knowledge instead of standing in Qiyamul Layl, then that seeking knowledge is even better than Qiyamul Layl. Subhanallah. And this is the, the reality of the matter. That there's nothing greater in this dunya than, you know, you, you're spending your time seeking ilm and acquiring knowledge for the sake of Allah Azza wa Jal. Tayyip, and that's basically from Imam Ibn Kathir, what he said. Uh, and then he mentioned, Iqra' wa Rabbuka al-Akram, alladhi alama bil-qalam, alama al-insana ma'alam ya'lam. Tayyib, we move on. This ayat, we have to also understand, was sent to, the, to, the, to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, who was Ummi. In Arabic, the word Ummi is used, even in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَالَّذِي بَعَثَ فِي الْأُمِّيِّينَ رَسُولًا He is the one, who, meaning Allah, who sent um, to the unlettered people a message, a messenger, a messenger. Tayyib. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was amongst them. He was true as well. He was, he was also unlettered. Meaning he was not able to read or write. As a, if we look at the ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا كُنْتَ تَتْلُ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ مِنْ كِتَابٍ وَلَا تَخُطُّهُ بِيَمِينِكَ إِذَا لَرْتَابَ الْمُبْطِلُونَ And you did not recite before it any scripture. The Prophet was not a person who read. No scripture, no nothing. Nor did you inscribe one with your right hand. Nor was he able to write. He did not do this, nor was he able to do this. Otherwise, the falsifiers would have had cause for doubt. If he was able to read, if he was known as a scholar, you know, if he was known to be someone who had written before and had read so many works before, and then he came with this, with the wahi, with, with the Quran, then he comes with the message, Allah says, Then those people who denied your message, those people who had doubts, those people who, who refused to accept the falsifiers, they would have had, had cause for doubt. Now they would have said, we know this is man is known for this. He's known to be a person who writes and so forth. So it's actually out of the hikmah of Allah that he sent this to an unlettered nation and to an unlettered prophet that these eloquent words will come and these powerful speech, this powerful speech will come. That is so perfect and so eloquent that the Arabs, just by hearing it, would be convinced. They would, they would hear this and be convinced that this is truly something divine. This is truly something divine. There would be things mentioned that would blow their minds. And just besides the information, besides the points that the Quran has made and the historical points that were made, and but just by the eloquence alone, this was enough to convince them that this is the haqq. And we will touch on this later on, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. 
So we move into the, the, the beginning of the surah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said, Iqra' bismi rabbika ladhi khalaq. Read in the name of your Lord who created. Who created. So here Allah instructs his prophet to read what he had revealed to him. Read what? Read this what we are revealing to you. Remember he said, I cannot read. I'm not one who can read. So then Jibreel recited. So this is what he is now instruct, instructed to read. Read what we have revealed to you. Which are these verses? So he says to him, read by Bismi Rabbik. Now we've spoken about this word Bismi when we spoke about the Basmana. Right? And we said that when we say Bismillah in the name of Allah, yeah, it's something very similar in the name of your Lord. Okay? Read in the name of your Lord. This Ba over here for Bismi, in the Bismi, that Ba over there, it is used, number one, to seek assistance, isti'ana. So when we say Bismi Rabbika, we are seeking assistance through the name of our Lord or through the name of Allah. Also, we start with the name of, uh, 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 start, read, in the name of your Lord, by starting in the name of your Lord. That the first thing you start with is the name of your Lord. That the first thing that you are uh, 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 receiving is in the name of your Lord. And through this you seek the help and assistance and aid of your Lord. Right? Who created everything. Some of the scholars pointed out that the word Rabb is used and not Allah. So not Bismillah but Bismi Rabbik. Because this is a matter of Rububiyyah. Specifically, it applies to Allah's Lordship. Again, we spoke about Rububiyyah. When we spoke about Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. Allah is the Creator, the Lord, the Provider and so forth. Right? So here, yeah, this is a matter of Rububiyyah. Sending down the book. The one who creates. This is truly your Lord. He is the one who is your Lord, the Creator of everything. Your Creator, my Creator, the Creator of every single thing. That is your Lord. Recite in His name. Who created that's all the Quran, that's all this verse is. Who created? What did Allah create? This is mutlaq, as some of the scholars said, it's unrestricted, meaning He created every single thing. So read in the name of your Lord, seeking assistance in His name, seeking uh, uh, help in His name, and starting and beginning with His name, the one who created every single thing. This ayah gives strength to the Prophet in the name of your Lord. Remember at the time he was full of fear. When Jibreel first came to him, he was full of fear. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, read in the name of your Lord. That this is from your Lord. This is not from anybody. This is not from uh, another person. It's not a from a friend. It comes from your Lord. And start with his name. So mat no matter what comes your way, no matter what difficulty comes your way, and we know difficulty came his way and he was, you know, he was going to be prepared for this difficulty. That the people were not just going to accept this message. It's not in your own name, not for your own gain, nor for your sake, or for fame, or for political power, not for your speech or in your speech, in the name of your Lord. So when he says, Bismi Rabbika, in the name of your Lord, this gives strength to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that he knows there's a purpose behind him uh, uh, reciting these words and conveying this message. It's all in the name of his Lord, the one who created every single thing. So this type of wording also gives Strength to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama. Khalaqal insana min alaq. Alladhi khalaq. The next ayah is khalaqal insana min alaq. He created humans, insan, from a clinging clot. From a clinging clot. Um, 
So we said the first ayah who created, that's unrestricted. Now Allah specifies of what he did create was he created insan. So immediately the message again, this is your creator, O insan. Listen to this message. He created insan. Min alaqin. Min alaqin. From alaq. The word alaq in Arabic literally means something that clings or attaches to something else. Picture something that holds on, that clings to something else. The word also means a leech. Right? We should know what a leech is. The medical leech has been notorious for its clinging property to the skin, whereby it sucks blood. Right? It clings on and it sucks. It can't just be removed. It's got to really be pulled off. A phenomenon that was often used in medicine as a remedy. Yani, blood clotting. So, this again is a miracle. Because, what does this mean? Allah created them from alaq, from a clinging clot. Understand? Today, modern science can tell us what this means. And this is something so powerful because again, Rasulullah, we said, was unlettered. For him to come with some this statement. What did this mean? This was something beyond their knowledge at the time. So again, this shows the miracle of what is being sent to him. How does he know this knowledge? It can only be something divine. This was the hikmah, again with Allah mentioning this at this point. So, there's a hadith in Bukhari. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, he said, that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, and then he said, huwa sadiqul masduq. He, he describes the Prophet in this hadith as, as-sadiq and al-masduq. The one who is truthful and the one who is believed. As if to indicate to the reader of this hadith that what's going to be mentioned is not something that was well known. But know that he's a sadiq and masduq. Don't doubt his, don't doubt his words. It's an authentic hadith. So we believe in it 100%. Especially for the people back then. So the Prophet said, indeed, each of you is brought together in his mother's abdomen for 40 days. Then it is there in a clinging object, alaqa, during this period. Thereafter, it is, it is there in a lamp looking like it had been chewed in this period. طيب, let's look at this hadith. Firstly, brought together, he says, in his mother's abdomen. Imam al-Qurtubi explained this and said, This refers to the sperm which enters the body of the woman with force and drive, and then must travel some time before it reaches the place where the egg is. Hence, the two are brought together at that place and time. This is scientifically proven again. So, it's brought together. What is brought together? That sperm that comes from the father of that fetus into the womb of the mother has to travel some distance. And it is then brought together in the abdomen of the mother. For 40 days, the hadith says, the first stage of human development is that stage of being a nutfa. A nutfa. Literally the word nutfa means a drop of fluid. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, أَيَحْسَبُ الْإِنسَانُ يُتْرَكَ سُدَىٰ أَلَمْ يَكُ نُطْفَةً مِنْ مَنِيِّ يُمْنَىٰ ثُمَّ كَانَ عَلَقَةً We're going to speak about the word alaqa. فَخَلَقَ فَسَوَّىٰ فَجَعَلَ مِنْهُ الزَّوْجَيْنِ الذَّكَرَ وَالْأُنْثَىٰ أَلَيْسَ ذَلِكَ بِقَادْرٍ يُحْيَ الْمَوْتَىٰ Allah says, do they, do people think that they will be left without purpose? Were they not once a sperm drop emitted? This is nutfa, right? A sperm drop emitted. So this is the first stage of human development. This is part of what happens in the mother's abdomen in that 40-day period. The first thing that happens is the fetus is a nutfa, which Allah says in the Quran. Right? They were once a nutfa. They were once a drop of sperm that was emitted. Then they became a clinging clot of blood, an alaqa. Then 
he developed and perfected their form, producing from it both sexes, male and female. Is such a creator unable to bring back the dead to life? Subhanallah. Tayyip, so the first stage is the nutwa. The second stage is, it is then they're in a clinging object during this period. So from the 7th to the 21st day, three consecutive processes takes place wherein clinging is the most dominant feature. Right, we mentioned 40 days in the mother's womb. From the 7th to the 21st day, three processes takes place wherein clinging, remember, alaqa, clinging substance, clinging is the most dominant feature. From day 7, implantation of the blastocyst. It comes completely embedded by the 10th day. What is a blastocyst? It is a hollow ball of cells, which is an early stage in the development of the embryo. A hollow ball of cells, which is an early stage in the development of the embryo. Okay, that's point number one. Point number two, chorion villi appear for the first time by day 13 and 14 and soon cover the whole blastocyst, attaching the ball-like structure to the uterus womb by the anchoring villi. Right, so this appears covers this blastocyst, attaching it to the, to the womb of the mother with anchoring villi. The connecting stalk connects the embryo proper with its true coverings, the amniotic sac and the yolk sac to the outer ball, the chorion. Right? Most of these terms is beyond our knowledge, but this is from um, scientific works. And all of these phases, they are phases of clinging and attachment. Right? We find the three different ways of clinging and attachment of the developing fertilized ovum to the womb of the mother. There is no better word for this stage which describes it eloquently than the Quranic word alaqa. Than the Quranic word alaqa. All of those stages we spoke about. Whether we understand the nitty gritties behind it, we are not um, scientists, and well, most of us. Um, but you can Google it and, and check it up, inshallah, and you will see how these things work. Through the when it gets connected through that villi that we spoke about, um, the nutrients are then sent from the womb to that fetus, which is which is starting to grow, and so forth. All of this, but it's an attaching and a clinging um, way that it that it happens. Right? We spoke about if you look at this little picture, we spoke about if you go back in the notes, the 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 chorionic villi, which attaches to the embryo, which is in the middle. If you look at the middle, you see that embryo over there. That was initially the blastocyst which was then connected to the chorion, which is connected to the chorion villi. All of those, a lot of that, what's in the picture, was spoken about. All of these things happen in phases, and it happened by clinging to each other and attaching to each other, which eventually, from, uh, through that villi and so forth, we said the nutrients and the food and the air and, and so forth is sent from the mother to that growing embryo, that growing um, fetus and so forth. And Allah Azza wa knows best. But this is all described as what? Alaqah. And this is what the Quran says. خَلَقَ الْإِنسَانَ مِنْ عَلَقَ خَلَقَ الْإِنسَانَ إِنسَانَ مِنْ عَلَقَ Hence, alaq in this verse refers to one of the stages wherein Allah created insan. And when Allah says خَلَقَ الْإِنسَانَ مِنْ عَلَقَ This is a touch on, on, on this. Which is, if you're going to science, I'm sure we can find so much more detail on what is meant by khalaqal insana min alaq that Allah created insan from a, a clinging a clot and this whole process is a process of clinging when all of that, 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 that growth and the development of that fetus starts this whole um, 
phase is called alaq. Subhanallah, Allah spoke about nutfa. Initially it's a nutfa. Then it becomes alaqa. Then it becomes mudha, which the hadith also mentions. Right? And that's another issue. They become so much developed and from the, 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 actual, the, the, the axial skeletal structure develops and the muscles develop and then it looks like a lot of scattered, chewed up lumps. And that's exactly what the word mudha means. So science has come and now proven what these ahadith have mentioned, what the Qur'an mentions, subhanAllah. And the Qur'an mentions other phases as well. Salsali min fakhar, min turab, min teen. Allah created us from all of these things. Right? It, it requires a deeper dive into all of these things and we will find a lot of detail on what exactly is meant by all of these things, subhanAllah. So this, <coughs> one, this truly shows the perfect knowledge of Allah. In all matters. And as Allah says, Sanurihim ayatina fil afaq, we will show them our signs in the universe, wafi and fusim, and within themselves. These are the signs of Allah Azzawajal. Until it becomes clear to them that this Quran is the truth. There is no truth after this. Awalam yakfi bi rabbika annahu ala kulli shayin shahid. It is not is it not enough that your Lord is a witness of all things? Subhanallah. If this is not the kalam that we are going to believe in, then what Quran, what kalam can we possibly believe in? In the previous surah, in Surah Tutin, Allah mentioned how insan is created in the best forms. Ahsan al-taqweem. We spoke about how Allah honored insan and created them in the best of all forms. In this surah, however, Allah mentions the origins of insan. To instill humility within them. He honors us in, in, in Surah Tutin and here he shows us our origins. We came from a clinging clot. Remember this. That's where we come from. Well, enough of the arrogance. Enough of the stubbornness. Enough of the haughtiness. Submit to the will of Allah Azza wa Jal. Submit to the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is where we come from. This is our creator. Allah then encourages us to read once again due to its importance. Iqra' wa rabbukal akram. The next ayah. Read and your Lord is the most generous. Read and your Lord is the most generous. So after Allah mentions the origins of insan, which is from a clinging clot, He mentions His nobility, His perfection, the most generous. This is how He created us, into the best of forms, but from something we cannot even imagine. We're still trying to understand what is alaqa, what is nutfa, what is mudha, all of these things, subhanAllah. Again, Allah consoles the Prophet and gives him strength. Your Lord is the most generous. And He will show you that generosity, that nobility. And He is blessing you. He's created you. He is your creator. Re- read in His name. Continue reading. Spread the da'wah, spread Islam and so forth. Your Lord is the most generous. How is He blessing him? Allah then says, Who taught by the pen. He is your Lord, the most generous. Who taught by the pen. Imam al-Qurtubi, on this issue, he says that there are three masail, three issues over here. We'll touch on two of them. Number one, he says, is that Allah taught insan to write with the pen. This is the first issue. Allah taught insan to write with the pen. As Qata'ada, rahimahullah, he said, the pen is a great favor from Allah, the Most High. Had it not been for the, for the, for the pen, the deen would not have been established nor would life have been upright. And if it was not for the pen, and what all the pen has covered of, of scripture, of knowledge and so forth, then things would not be as good as it is today. And this deen would not have been established as it is. Allah put 
that pen there for this reason. Thus, from the perfect generosity of Allah, He taught His slaves that which He knew not. This is part of Allah's generosity that He gave us ilm and He taught us with the pen. He taught with the pen. He took them from the darkness of ignorance to the light of knowledge. And He warned about the importance of knowledge or of the knowledge of the pen or of writing for what it contains of great benefits of which none encompasses except Him. The various sciences have not been documented, nor have the reports and statements of the earliest generations been captured, not even the revealed books of Allah, except by the pen or by writing. This is the virtue of the qalam, that Allah he taught insan how to write. He taught insan how to write. This is one of the great bounties of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is a part of knowledge. This is a part of, of knowledge. And had it not been for, for writing down, Remember back then there were no computers, no typewriters. This only came later on. Initially, it was about writing things down. Before the ink, they were writing on different things, the lawh and, and these things. And this is how they documented all types of knowledge. From Quran to Hadith was written down and documented in the time of the Sahaba. And it got more advanced as time went by. To history, to all types of reports. Had this not been there, how would this deen have been documented? Allah knows best. But this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose to document this deen. Mostly through, through writing or through the pen. Were it not for the pen, the affairs of the deen and dunya would not have been set straight. Amr said, that, Oh Messenger of Allah, should I write down what I hear of you from hadith? He said, yes, write, for indeed Allah taught by the pen. For indeed Allah taught by the pen. Um... So that is the first understanding of, 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 of uh, Al-Qurtubi, that this is what Allah taught through the pen, or Allah taught insan to write, and through that, the deen has been established. So many you know, benefits have been established. Um, the second issue is, who did Allah teach by the pen? Okay, so firstly, Adam salam, some said it was him, when we say that he taught insan how to write, some say it refers to Adam, was stated by Ka'b bin Al-Ahbar. Some say it applies to Idris. This was stated by Al-Bahak. And some say this includes all those who write with the pen. And this seems to be the strongest view as Allah knows best. As there is no knowledge except by the teaching of Allah. So whoever writes with the pen beneficial knowledge, true ilm, wahi and so forth, and or knowledge that refers to wahi. So all knowledge that, that goes back to wahi is beneficial knowledge. Right? Whoever is benefiting with this, this, this ayah applies to him. That Allah is ultimately the teacher. Allah is ultimately the teacher. All knowledge has to come from him. He also mentioned this between mentioning his favor upon them in terms of creation and in terms of his favor of teaching them. So if you look at the position of this ayah, well the ayah before this, Allah is speaking about insan. Allah, he created them from alaq. And the ayah after that, he taught insan that which they know not. He taught them that which, so this has to apply to insan. Doesn't only apply to Adam or Idris, and this seems to be the, the correct view, as we said, that this ayah includes all those who write with the pen. That it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who blessed them. It's Allah who guided them, and this is a favor of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon them. So that's the first issue. The second issue Al-Qurtubi mentions is in an, in an authentic hadith. The Prophet said, When Allah created the creation, he wrote in his book, which is with him above the throne. 
Indeed, my mercy overcomes my anger. Indeed, my mercy overcomes my anger. Point here is, Allah wrote in His book, which is with Him above the throne. Indeed, rahmati, uh, in, inna rahmati ghalabat ghadabi. That indeed my mercy overcomes my anger. In another hadith he said, the first thing Allah created was the pen. He then said to the pen, Uktub, write. So it wrote all that will happen until Qiyamah. It wrote down all that will happen until Qiyamah. This is also the pen. It is referred to, could be referred to in the hadith. Then another hadith he mentions from the Prophet ﷺ, which we touched on earlier, of the creation in the mother's womb to be a nutfa, then an alaqa, then a mudha then Allah sends an angel who is ordered to write four things an angel who is ordered to write four things regarding that fetus he is ordered to write down his deeds his livelihood, his rizq his time of death and whether he will be blessed or wretched wretched, yani as, a, as a dini person will be righteous or misguided then the soul is breathed into this fetus. Then the soul is breathed into this fetus. The point here is Allah sends an angel to write four things. Hence, what we learn from these ahadith is number one, the pen Allah created with his hand. When we say Allah bil qalam, he taught with the pen. The pen could be what Allah created with his hand and then instructed it to write. That's, that's an opinion. Secondly, the pens of the angels that the angels are writing down. The decree of that child, that, that is, which is the minor decree, the happenings and the deeds of a person. The angels are always writing down. Or it could be the pens of the people. Or it could be the pens of the, of the people. Al-Qurtubi mentions all of this. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Perhaps all of them are possible opinions. But definitely we can definitely say that the first issue definitely applies. That... He taught mankind how to write with the pen as well. This definitely applies. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, he knows best. He taught humanity that which they knew not. What they knew not. He taught insan the names of all things. So what some of the scholars said this means. He taught insan the names of all things. As Allah says in Surah Baqarah, He taught Adam the names of all things. He taught Adam the names of all things. In another verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the state of insan and he says, Wallahu akhrajakum min butuuni ummahatikum la ta'lamuna shay'a. And Allah brought you out of the wombs of your mothers while you knew nothing. While you knew nothing. This is the state of insan. When we're born, we're born nothing. We know nothing. Can't read, can't write, can't do anything. As we grow, we learn. As we grow, we learn. And every day we're supposed to learn something new, especially regarding the deen. Especially regarding, it's one thing to learn dunyawi things which is good. It's empower yourself in all types of knowledge, it's good. Right, as long as it's not haram issues, but otherwise it's good. But ultimately we should be increasing in our knowledge of the deen. And this is the virtue of insan. Allah blessed us. That yes, we were brought into this world not knowing anything. But the more we learn, the more Allah is blessing us. And this is, as we said, a sign that Allah loves you. A sign that Allah wants goodness for you. That He grants you the understanding of the deen. Remember this, this is such a powerful hadith. When Allah wants goodness for a person, He grants him the understanding of the deen. If you flip this hadith and take the opposite meaning, what does it mean? 
If Allah does not want goodness for a person, He keeps that person ignorant. The person never learns, he never studies, he never attends lessons, he never reads, he never does not increase on his knowledge. This is a sign that Allah does not want goodness for a person like that. Wallahu musta'an. So this one hadith is enough to motivate us to continue learning, to read, to listen to lectures, to do whatever you can in whichever way that you are whichever way is possible and easy for you to try and increase in your daily knowledge or your knowledge daily of Islam. Subhanallah. And it is ultimately Allah who teaches us. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And fear Allah and Allah will teach you. Fear Allah and Allah will teach you. Allah al-Musta'an. Powerful. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, So the first part, that is the end till this ayah over here. These were the first ayat that were revealed. These were the first ayat that were revealed. From here onward, this ayat were revealed later on. And we will see the hadith that mentions when this was revealed. Allama ibn Uthaym rahimahullah says, Kalla ya means haqqan. Kalla means haqqan. Which means truly or most certainly, definitely indeed. Kalla. إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَيَطْغَى أَرَّآهُ اسْتَغْنَى One or a person or insan exceeds all bounds. They transgress once they think they are self-sufficient. أَنْرَآهُ اسْتَغْنَى Once they think that they are self-sufficient. Ibn Uthaymin explains and he says, This means Allah affirms this without any doubt. Kalla. He's really confirming this point. That insan... And here he says this applies to all of insan from the sons of Adam, right? And we will see later on that these ayat were also specifically revealed regarding Abu Jahl, okay? But Ibn Uthaymi says this applies to all of insan from the sons of Adam as well. Yeah, and it's not restricted to Abu Jahl, at least this part, this part. That all of the sons of Adam, when they think they are self-sufficient, they transgress. When they think they are self-sufficient, they transgress, they go beyond the bounds. For example, he said, when he thinks he is self-sufficient from the mercy of Allah, he doesn't care. The person doesn't fear Allah. He doesn't have that worry that Allah will punish him or take him to task or that moat is around the corner, for example. He doesn't worry about the mercy of Allah. He doesn't care. When he thinks he is self-sufficient from Allah in removing hardship, he doesn't need Allah. He can sort his own affairs out. Or acquiring his needs. Whatever his need he needs, whatever he's looking for, whatever he's working towards, he thinks that what he is capable of is sufficient. Doesn't need Allah. What he can do is, is good enough. He does not turn to Allah, nor does he care. When he thinks he is self-sufficient from, or in terms of his health, in terms of his health, he forgets sickness. Wallahi, this is the haqq. When we live in good health, we forget about the times when we are sick. We, we, we take our health for granted. This is the reality. In terms of his food, he forgets hunger. When we are satisfied, our, our, our hunger is satisfied, our thirst is satisfied, we forget how it is to be hungry, how to be thirsty. And the Sheikh goes on in his book, he speaks about when the person has clothing and is clothed every day and so forth, he forgets how it is to be naked and not have enough to clothe himself with. We can speak about money, we can speak about all blessings. When you have enough, you forget what it, how it is not to have. 
And the reality is when that person is blessed like this and he has and he has and he has, this ends up in him transgressing. He starts to think that it's from him and that he is sufficient for himself, self-sufficient, and that he doesn't need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hence he transgresses. Thus the Sheikh says from the nature of insan is that he transgresses and disobeys or rebels when he sees himself as self-sufficient. This is the reality of insan. The moment that person thinks that um, this is his level that he's reached, he's got wealth, he's got this, he's got that, and he, he doesn't need anybody, he, he becomes a haughty person who disobeys Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّا عَرَضْنَا الْأَمَانَةَ عَلَى السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَالْجِبَالِ فَآبَيْنَا أَنْ يَحْمِلْنَهَا وَأَشْفَقْنَا مِنْهَا Indeed, Allah says, we offered the trust to the heavens and the earth and the mountains, but they all declined to bear it, being fearful of it. وَحَمَلَهَا الْإِنسَانِ But humanity assumed it. He took it on. إِنَّهُ كَانَ ظَلُومًا جَهُولًا فَإِذَيْهِ are truly wrongful to themselves and ignorant of the consequences. This is the, the nature of insan. You see, this is the, the type of self-amazement that they have. The Sheikh then says, however, the believer is not included in this. This is not the way of the believers now. No. He never thinks he is self-sufficient, not even for the blinking of an eye. Never ever is the believer like this. He always understands and realizes that he puts in the hard work, but ultimately everything is in the hand of Allah. What he has today can be lost tomorrow. So he always worships Allah. He constantly turns to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He realizes that every blessing he experiences is only from Allah azza wa jal. It's not my health, it's not because of me. It's my duty to look after my health. To eat, not overeat. To eat healthily and not to eat unhealthy. To exercise and so forth. But ultimately health is in the hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not through me. Sickness can come anytime. Wallahu musta'an. The same with wealth. The same with food. The same with every single ni'mah. It's not through our uh, uh, achievements. We, we tie our camel. We do our best. We put in our effort. But ultimately everything is in the hand of Allah. This is the understanding of the believer. He knows that he is always in dire need of Allah. Even if we have everything with us, we still need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Thus he asks Allah for his needs and turn to him at every moment. طيب, that's the way of the believer. So this ayah, we sh- it shouldn't apply to us. And if it does at any moment, then we need to rectify our fears. And may Allah aid us and assist us and guide us at all times. Amin. Allah then threatens these arrogant individuals, those self-impressed uh, people or self-amazed people. And he says, إِنَّ إِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ الرُّجْعَ In the next ayah, إِنَّ إِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ الرُّجْعَ But surely, indeed, to your Lord is the return of all. Is the return of all. Meaning, and to Allah is the final destination and return. And He will hold you accountable for your wealth. As to where you obtained it from and how did you spend it. There will be no escape and no way to flee. And this is, the, this is how Allah warns these type of people. We say this could be to Abu Jahl, yes. But also to, to anybody who, who becomes self-amazed. And thinks he's self-sufficient and so he transgresses the boundaries of Allah. Here comes the reminder. To your Lord is the return. Ultimately, everything has to go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ibn Uthaymin says this is a threat and an intimidation for those people who transgressed and thought they were not in need of their Lord. This is how Allah wakes them up. 
you are going back to him. So prepare for that day. Remember, we are going to stand in front of him and we have to answer unto him. There will be no escape. There will be no way to hide. Understand? So this is how Allah intimidates and threatens them. It's not, it's, what's the point of being self-amazed and thinking you're not in need of Allah? Tomorrow you are going to be buried. Tomorrow you're going to stand up in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ultimately you have to return back to him. And the Sheikh also says it's more comprehensive in that in terms that it means all matters return back to Allah. Not just us as people or the transgressors. Actually every single thing goes back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala where it came from. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says at the end of Surah Ghashiyah, إِلَّا مَنْ تَوَلَّا وَكَفَرْ فَيُعَذِّبُهُ اللَّهُ الْعَذَابَ الْأَكْبَرْ إِنَّ إِلَيْنَا إِيَابَهُمْ ثُمَّ إِنَّ عَلَيْنَا حِسَابَهُمْ Whoever turns away, persisting in his disbelief, then Allah will inflict upon them the major punishment. إِنَّ إِلَيْنَا إِيَابَهُمْ Surely to us is their return. Then surely with us is their reckoning. This is the, where everything ends up. He has to go back to him and Allah will reckon with him. So it's not, there's no benefit in being haughty or being self-amazed at this point or at any point in time. Ultimately, we're going back to Allah. So humble yourself now. Submit to the laws of Allah now. And then we will be successful when we meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the lesson Allah is teaching us. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, have you seen the man who prevents a servant of ours from praying? Have you seen the man who prevents a servant of ours from praying? Now this man is definitely Abu Jahl. The ultimate transgressor from the Quraysh, Abu Jahl, the father of ignorance. Abu Jahl in fact said, if I see Muhammad praying, I will stamp, stamp on his neck. I will stand on his neck. The servant here in this Abadan here, our servant, refers to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So this is what Abu Jahl used to say. If I see him praying, especially at the Kaaba and so forth, I will go to him and stand on his neck or st- step my foot on his neck and I will throw dust in his face. This is what Abu Jahl used to say. Right? And he was known firstly to the Quraysh as Abu Al-Hakam. He was known as Abu Al-Hakam, the father of Hakam. Yani the father of, of, of judgment. Because people would refer to him in matters of dispute and he would be like a judge to them. So he was, you know, that guy for the Quraysh. He would speak on their behalf. They would always go back to him, ask him for advice, sort out this issue, judge on this issue and so forth. And due to this, he, was, he became deceived and he became impressed by himself. So now we can also see why it also the, the previous ayat, as I said, some ulama said it applies to him, like Al-Qurtubi said, uh, applies to him because he also was someone who was who believed he, that he was uh, self-sufficient right but we also took a lesson in it that it could apply to all of uh, insan as well as Ibn Uthaymin said the prophet then said he is actually Abu Jahl not Abu Hakam the opposite he is Abu Jahl not the father of judgment he is the father of ignorance this is truly who he was the hadith in Sahih Muslim, Abu Hurairah reports that Abu Jahl asked people whether Muhammad placed his face on the ground in their presence. Did he make salah in your presence? The people said yes. So Abu Jahl said, by Lat and Uzza, he, took an, he swore by his gods that he worshipped, those idols that the Arabs in Jahiliyyah used to worship, Allat and Al Uzza. He said, by Allat and Al Uzza, if I were to see him do that, if I saw him make salah, 
I would trample his neck or I would smear his face with dust. And so he came to Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam as he was engaged in salah and thought of trampling his neck. And the people said that he came near him but he turned upon his heels and tried to repel something with his hands. So he saw the Prophet making salah. He then went to fulfill what he said. Trample him and throw dust in his face. But as he came, he started to turn on his heels. And he started to, as if, you know, repulsing, pushing something away with his hands. And so the people said to him, what's the matter with you? And he said, there is between me and him a ditch of fire and terror and wings. This is what Abu Jahl saw. Between him, they saw a khandaq, a, a, a trench, a ditch of fire and terror and wings. Thereupon, Allah's Messenger sallallahu wasallam said, if he were to come near me, the angels would have torn him to pieces, piece by piece. The angels would have torn him apart, piece by piece. And then this ayat were revealed. Up until the end of the surah. This hadith is in Sahih, Muslim. Okay? So, the first ayat we said was revealed in the beginning of Revelation. From here to the end was revealed on this incident. Hence, we could say it definitely applies to Abu Jahl. But, as I said... There is also, it is applicable to others as well, especially that part of people who become, who think they are self-sufficient, they start to transgress. And then Allah warns all of them, to him is ultimately the return. But this specifically applies to Abu Jahl. We Abu Jahl, Have you seen that one who wants to stop a servant of ours from praying? This is actually, Allah says this, you know, as a, as a statement of astonishment. Have you seen this guy? This absurd, absurd guy. Subhanallah, this guy that wants to stop him from making salah. And then Allah says, أَرَأَيْتَ إِنْ كَانَ عَلَى الْهُدَى أَوْ أَمَرَ بِالتَّقْوَى What if this servant, يعني Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, is rightly guided? Or he encourages righteousness? And this is of course the haq. We knew that the Prophet is rightly guided. We know that he's the one who spread the da'wah, encouraged others to fear Allah and, and, and to be righteous and to be conscious of Allah and so forth. So Ya Allah is addressing Abu Jahl. Oh Abu Jahl, do you not realize that if this servant is rightly guided, if he is upon the haq, then harming him or stopping him from his salah and so forth, don't you realize it's only going to bring your own destruction? Don't you realize it's Abu Jahl? Don't you see who this man is? And remember the context of what happened. He came to hurt the Prophet and this ayat came down. Addressing him. Ara'ayta. Do you see? Do you not realize? The ta here is, is, means you. Second person addressing him. Ara'ayta again. Speaking to him. In Alam ya'lam What if that man persists in denial and turns away? Does he not know that Allah sees all? Again, referring to Abu Jahl, speaking to him. Does he not realize, don't you realize, Abu Jahl, that if you persist in denial, to deny the book of Allah, to deny this wahi that is come down in front of you, addressing you, you saw this, this ditch between you and the Prophet. Is this not enough for you? Is these ayat not eloquent enough for you? Is all of these miracles that the Prophet is coming with not enough for you? Is the ayat speaking to you directly not enough for you? All of these signs, um, 
if you persist in this denying the book of Allah and turning away from Iman, does he realize what's going to happen? Alam ya'lam bi Allah yara. Does he not know that Allah sees all? Does he not realize that Allah sees everything? That Allah sees him? And he sees the Prophet And he knows exactly what is happening. Does he not realize Allah will take him to task for what he has done? And he will protect the Prophet Does he not realize Allah is able to do everything? This is what Allah is basically telling him. Speaking these words, the Prophet is speaking these words in front of him. As this hadith was mentioned in Muslim. But no. If he does not desist, we will certainly drag him by his forelock. A lying, sinful forelock. If he does not desist means, if he doesn't stop harming the Prophet If he does not stop this, what's going to happen to him? He will be, we will drag him by his forelock. By his, by his, this is his forelock. What type of forelock? Allah describes him as being lying and sinful. And this dragging the ulama, like Ibn Uthaymin said, could be in this world and the year after. In this world, he was dragged. How? He was killed and martyred. Oh, say martyred, Afwan. He was killed. That he was obviously not a martyr, but he was killed where? In the Battle of Badr. Right? So he was experiencing some punishment in this world already. Where he came to fight the Muslims and he was killed. And also in the Akhirah. Also in... Um, the Akhirah. Where he will be dragged. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that. يُعْرَفُ الْمُجْرِمُونَ بِسِيمَاهُمْ فَيُؤْخَذُ بِالنَّوَاصِ وَالْأَقْدَامِ That the mujrimun. بِسِيمَاهُمْ They will be known by the faces. By what's on their faces. And they will be dragged by the, by the forelock. And by the feet. And this obviously refers to the Akhirah. So this could be happened, it happened to him in this world and in the Akhirah. This lamb here in fal, that, that over there, that lamb is used as a challenge. Let him call his associates. Abu Jahl, when this all happened, Abu Jahl, he said, On what is he threatening me, O Muhammad? Referring to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is talking to him and warning him. And threatening him and intimidating him. Abu Jahl then said, On what is he threatening me, O Muhammad? Well, I have majority of the people to call upon. Remember, he's one of the main guys of the Quraysh. So this was his response. The arrogance. What can he do? If I call the people to protect me and to fight for me, I have all of that Quraysh's and all these people will come and fight for me. As if to tell, you know, telling the Prophet in return, what? And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Let him call his people. Let him call his associates. Let him. Let him go. Let him bring his people. Bring all their strength and their power. Let them see what they can bring. This was the challenge. So when he said these words, that I have the people, what's he threatening me with? Allah said. The Prophet then read to him, let him call his associates. Here's the challenge. Then Allah said, We will call the wardens of hell. Now we know Allah doesn't need assistance. If Allah wanted to destroy him, Allah could destroy him just by saying kun and it would be. Allah just has to will it and it will happen. But Allah is intimidating him further. Allah says, we will call the wardens of hell or the angels of hell. When Kathir said they are angels of torment, the angels of punishment. 
This is so that he may know who will win. Our group or his? All the people. Bring all of them. Let them bring their armies and their weapons and everything. Right? We'll bring our angels. Ibn Uthaymin said that Allah described the angels of the fire as being harsh and severe. Harsh in their nature and extremely powerful. The Zabaniya, it is said that their heads are in the heavens while their feet is on the earth. That's how big and powerful they are. That's how big and powerful these angels are. Allah says, you bring your people, bring your guys, bring your, your, your cronies. We will call these wardens of hell. Again, Allah says, no. La. Kalla. He's talking to who? Abu Jahl. No, Abu Jahl. No ways. Certainly no. It's not how you think it will happen. You think by bringing your friends and your, your associates that you're going to overcome us? Overcome the Prophet ﷺ? Abadan wallah. Kalla. Never ever. Then Allah says to the Prophet ﷺ, La tuti'hu wasjud waqtarib. Never obey him. Don't worry about him. Don't obey him. Don't listen to him. Again, consoling the Prophet ﷺ, encouraging him to be firm and to be strong. Don't worry about this guy. Whatever strength he has, whatever cronies he comes with, whatever gang he comes with, لا تطيعه. Don't obey him. Don't listen to him. Don't worry about him. Because I will protect you. And I will send the angels to protect you. And Allah will bring companions like the Sahaba who will protect you. No need to worry. حسبك الله. Allah is sufficient for you. Allah is sufficient for you. لا تطيعه. Consoles the Prophet Gives him that further confidence. And, and strengthening his feet. لا تطيعه. Don't worry. Don't obey him. وَسْجُدْ وَقْتَرِبْ Continue to prostrate and draw near to Allah. Continue to prostrate. Wasjud sajda. Make sajda. Continue making your sajda. Sajda here yeah, actually refers to the salah. Continue making salah. Continue with your salah. Don't worry about him. You continue. Imagine this happening in front of the Kaaba. The Prophet making salah. Abu Lahab comes. Or Abu Jahl sorry comes to harm him and so forth. He, he stops. He sees this trench of terror and, and fire and wings and he starts to walk back and he's swatting things away with his hand. People say, what's up? And he says, this is what I see. The Prophet said, if he came near to me, the angels would have torn him apart piece by piece. And then he responded. What are they threatening me with? And then the ayat were revealed. When they think they are self-sufficient, they will transgress. Indeed, they will only return to the Lord. And then the further ayat were revealed. Picture all of this happening. At the end where he says, فَلْيَدْعُ نَادِيَةً Let him call his people. Allah says to them, سَنَدْعُ الزَّبَانِيَةً We will bring the زَبَانِيَةً كَلَّا لَا تُطِحُوا نَيْهِ Abu Jahl is not going to happen the way you think it's going to happen. لَا تُطِحُوا Don't worry about him, O Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Don't listen to him. Don't obey him. Continue with your salah. Ignore him. Make as if he's not there. Continue with your salah. وَقْتَرِبْ And draw near to Allah. Draw near to Allah. As the ulama have said, sujood, yeah, actually first your salah, continue with your salah, continue making the salah, because sujood is one of the main aspects of the salah, hence it's used as an example. And draw near, meaning come close to Allah, as best as you can, in every other way, and especially in your sujood and your salah. One of the, the closest the slave comes to Allah is when he's sajid, when he's in sujood. As the hadith says, أَقْرَبُ مَا يَكُنُ الْعَبْدُ مِنْ رَبِّهِ وَهُوَ سَاجِدٌ فَأَكْثِرُ الدُّعَاءِ in Sahih Muslim, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "The nearest a slave comes to his Lord is when he is prostrating himself. 
when he's in sajda. So make dua in the state. The best time to make dua is when you are in sajda because this is when you are closest to Allah. You have, you have belittled yourself in front of the Most High. One who's above the heavens, you put yourself on the lowest part of the ground. This is the closest you come to Him. So make your dua. Get close to Allah. Make your salah continue. And don't worry about the kuffar. Don't worry about your enemies. Worry about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Put Allah first and Allah will put you first. Put the laws of Allah first and Allah will take care of the rest. Allah will take care of you. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala started off the surah with the beginning of revelation. With read. Which is an instruction to read, which is seek knowledge. And read in the name of your Lord. For the sake of Allah, with Allah's name. Opening and starting with Allah's name. Strength and consolement. And Allah ends off this ayah or the surah by encouraging us to, to get close to Him and to worship Him and not to be bothered by the, by the, by the enemies and so forth. So we ask Allah Azza wa Jal to grant us the understanding to guide us and to keep us firm and to make us of those who reads, who studies, who gains knowledge and to make us of those who remain steadfast and who get closest to Him, who remain upon our salah and upon success and upon the manager of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Amin Rabbil Alameen, wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in, subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik, shahadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka, wa atubu ilayk, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.